This is Heather Meckes, Director of Discipleship at CRC, and this is our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this inspires you, encourages you, and allows you to see how God is moving in and around you. If you would like to check out more resources, go to coopersvillereform.com. Enjoy the message. Lesson today for I Testify, so it's exciting to have that. Our scripture reading this morning is found in the book of Acts. It's chapter 4, verses 23 through 32. And if you are following along in the um, Pew Bibles, it's on page 885. If you are able, would you please stand with me in the reading of God's holy word? On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Coopersville Reformed. My name is Stephen. I've been up here a few weeks ago or so. Um, I'm, I'm excited this morning, actually, to come up here and, and deliver God's word for you. I feel like, like, I feel like he's inspired me with the things that I've read in his word. And my prayer this morning is that the things that he's shown me in his word I'll be able to say that in a way that you'll receive that too and share in, in that joy and in, in that inspiration that comes from his word. And so like in, in just like a, a breath, I, I wanna just pray that. Amen. <laughs> right? Well, uh, like I said, I am glad to, to, to teach this morning. We are in the middle of a series on prayer. And, and last week, John had a sermon about persistence in prayer. 
And we learned like the power of regularly coming before the Lord in prayer and how often that shapes us more than it shapes our circumstances. Sometimes I think when, when we come to the Lord, often we ask like in a way that hopefully he'll bend to what we want, but we find that when we come together with him regularly, he bends us to his will. Um, well, this week, we're going to look at the subject of corporate prayer. And, and initially, when, when I started looking at this, I thought, it's the same thing as praying by yourself, just, just some more people. How am I going to fit this into a half an hour sermon? But as I've been looking into this text and in, in looking into corporate prayer, God's shown me some really, really neat things. And now I'm at the point where I'm like, how am I going to fit this into a half an hour sermon? There's so much in here. Um, and I feel sometimes, too, um, I'm on the lucky end because I feel like God has um, prepared me to teach this more than I've prepared this to, to come to you. So one example of that, this week, um, I was at a store and I was going to buy a Bible for a friend. And at the, at the Christian bookstore, there's, there's all sorts of different versions, and I didn't know which one to get. So I asked the person working there um, to kind of explain a few ones that I was looking at, and she did. And then she says this. She says, what's the name of the person that, that this is going to? And so I told them the name of my friend, and she says, can we pray about it? And I said, yes, but inside I'm thinking, oh, you idiot, why didn't you think of that first? Like, that should have been, should have been the first thing that I did, right? I, I totally missed the boat, but what a great time that we had praying for my friend that that, that word would be, would be given, right? We could share in that time. Well, this morning, we're gonna look at at Acts 4, just like Danielle read. And, and, um, and if you don't have your Bible open, like, if I love to go through the, the Word all over the place. I don't expect you to keep up with me, but I would really like it if you opened up your Bibles to Acts 4, because we're going to really study this today. It's on page 885 in the Pew Bibles. Um, we're looking at Acts 4. Verse 23, I'll give you a second while to, to find it, but not too long of a second. Um, so we read from, from Acts 4, and, and initially, right away, like my first, my eyes were first drawn to that part in the story where the place that they were in was shaken, and they were filled with the Spirit. Wouldn't that be cool to see that and to feel that and to be in part of that? And I'll admit, like, we even pray for stuff like that to happen, right? And, and I'm drawn to that right away. And I, and I think sometimes, like, I'm drawn to that right away because I think that we can be a little experience focused. Definitely in the United States, like we, we as a culture can be focused and motivated by an experience 
of something. We want to see something happen. We have big vacations. We, we go and do things for the experience, right? And maybe that, that's what keeps us from, from seeing like the, this great passage here. And I think, you know, and if we look at, at our hearts, you know, maybe we can see how sometimes experience culture, is, maybe it's slipped into the church a little bit. Maybe another reason why, why initially I missed some of the bulk of this passage is, is maybe sometimes I'm a little me-focused, like individual-focused instead of focused on, on us. Uh, we definitely can see that in our culture, how we're all individual-focused. Um, and I think sometimes, too, if we really, if we really have an open mind to to like the state of our of the church, sometimes here in in the United States, sometimes we let that let that creep in a little bit, and and it's, it has its place, right? Um, but this that wasn't what the church was praying for. They weren't praying for the Lord to come down and shake the place up, and for them to have this experience of being filled. What were they praying for? And to do that, I gotta, I gotta backtrack. I gotta backtrack. My right is your left, right? Um, I gotta backtrack and give you a little bit of the context of what's happening. So this is Acts four, and before that, like Christ died, he was crucified. He was, he died and was buried, and he was resurrected and he ascended. And all the disciples, they were witnesses to this, right? And Christ told them to wait in Jerusalem. And, and sure enough, on the day of Pentecost, while they were together in prayer, like they received the Holy Spirit. And the church, the church was born. That's Acts 1 and 2. Well, Acts 3, the apostles Peter and John, they're on the way to the temple. They still meet at the temple. Um, and at the gate, there is this man who was lame. And he was lame for all of the 40 years that he was alive. And in the name of Jesus Christ, they heal the man. And he gets up and he's walking and jumping. And the, everyone there just erupts. They are praising God, glorifying him. Um, no one can be quiet. And at that time, the rulers, like the high priests, the elders, the, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they all, they all caught wind of this. Even, even the high priest Caiaphas, they caught wind of what's going on. And they arrest Peter and John, and they put them in jail overnight, and they're deciding what they're going to do with them. The next day, they, they tell them, we don't want you to preach in the name of Jesus anymore. And they let him go, and, and Peter and John boldly say, you know, we, we can't stop preaching about Jesus. Um, but then right after that, we get to verse 23, where it says, on their release... Peter and John went back to their own people and, and reported all that the, the chief priests and elders had said to them. All right? And that's where we find ourselves. Verse 24 says this. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer. And, and I just want to stop right there a second. Um, those threats, like... It wasn't they were just like, don't talk about Jesus. Like, there was a lot of weight behind them. Those threats that were made to Peter and John, they were made by, 
by the high priest, the, the chief priest, the elders, the, the people that put Christ to death just a few weeks before that. They had a lot of weight behind those threats. They had the, the Roman government, they had Herod, they had the system, they had the people behind that. If they wanted to crucify somebody for something, they showed that they could get it done. It, you know, can you imagine like the, the mafia or somebody pulling you and, and then saying, you better not talk about Jesus anymore. Like you can imagine what the what or, or else would be, right? And I believe that the believers here, the early Christians, they took those threats to heart. Like they weren't just for, for Peter and John. It was for them too. And they knew what to do at that time. It says here that they prayed. And so often, like, so often I miss that. I can be a little dense. You know that I miss it. I did it last week. Um, but I think sometimes we can miss that opportunity too. How often does something happen and right away, we're getting on our Facebook site or our Instagram or whatever it is and, and ranting, putting a couple pages down how we don't like something, right? Or how often does something happen? We don't know what to do and we Google an answer or we just tell every friend except for going to the Lord. Well, these early believers, they did know the right thing to do and they went to God in prayer together. And there are times that we get this right. Um, some of you may have been part of this church or a church during 9-11 when that happened. Remember what happened every, everywhere? Like we all gathered together at church and prayed. Or here's the easy one for you to grasp. Like mission trips. So you go on a mission trip, right? Some of you have just been on a mission trip. They pray for everything. They pray over the meal. Like the van doesn't work. Like... Let's lay our hands on the van and, and get that to work. Um, the men's retreat. We've gone to the men's retreat. There's somebody with a problem, and right away we're, we're surrounding them in prayer. I have a friend, Denny, and he's amazing. Whenever something's happening in his life or in his family's life, he does the right thing. He's got a close group of guys that he immediately goes to and says, we need prayer about this. And then within, within minutes, we're all, we're all just praying together over what's going on. Well, that's what this early church did. They, they went right into prayer. And in verse 24, it says that they raised their voices together in prayer. And, and that's what the NIV says. And I think there's just some things that can't be translated into words. Because um, other versions will say things like, like they raise their voices unanimously or with one accord or with singleness of heart or with one mind. Like, I guess if I were to put a word to it, like they were praying as one. And like, what does that even, what does that look like? What does that mean? I don't think, here's what I don't think it means. I don't think it meant like that they were all saying the same words 
at the same time, all together in unison. Kind of like when we, we say the Lord's Prayer together. I don't think that's how this went down. And I'll show you why. I think that they were praying as one, and one is like this theme that goes throughout the whole Bible. This is gonna be like a key for unlocking some truths in this passage, is this idea of one. And like I said, it's through the whole Bible, and it begins at Genesis 1, and uh, where, God, where God describes himself. He doesn't describe himself as God's, plural, but he also describes himself as he and us. God, the, the Trinity, describes himself as one, right? And Jesus kind of further explains that during his ministry. And when we get to John 17, he talks about how he and the Father, right, two different ones, are one. The Father is in him, and he is in the Father. And I'm going to build on that a little bit more. You think about Genesis 2. There's this one showing up again. When, when God created man, he said, it's not good for him to be alone. And so out of man... He creates woman, somebody totally different than man. But when they're together, they're one. They're one flesh. They're one together as God's image of one. And, and to build even more, I'm building this up for you, Paul Paul takes that concept in Ephesians 5 and he, he uses that to talk about the church. He says, just as, just as the, the man and the woman are one, so is Christ in the church. Right? Just as the, just as the church submits to Christ, Christ submits to the, to the Father. Right? They're, they're all one. And, and Jesus even prayed for this back in, in, in John 17. He asked, he asked God, he says, may they be one, one together, as we're one, and then may they be one with us. There's one more picture that I want to give to you about, about this one. When Paul talks about the church in 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about one body. And this is such a great illustration, especially why I don't think they were saying everything all together at the same time, you know, doing the same thing in unison. But he talks about the church body being one with Christ as the head, right? And he says that the spirit, the one spirit that we all have, like, that dwells within us, has gifted us with all these different abilities, like some are some are preachers, some are some are gifted with wisdom, some are knowledge, miracles, prophecy, all these different abilities. They're all different. But together we're one. We're not a whole bunch of ears. We're not a whole bunch of feet. We're one body, though, and Christ is the head. And you can think about how the head controls the body. Right? And so I want you to just kind of like hold that thought as we look in, 
into our section of Scripture. Well, during, during that section of 1 Corinthians, it also talks about how we're one with the Spirit. And, and we're talking about prayer here. And when, when I think about those two together, I think about Romans 8, 26 and 27, where it talks about how, like even when we don't know what we're gonna pray for, the Spirit, he intercedes with us with these like wordless groanings. It's not even words. But he does that in accordance with God's will, right? The head, the body. Like in that time of prayer, he knows our hearts and he's presenting them to God. And he's also taking God's will and helping us realign ourselves with God's will. That whole image of the body and the head, right? During that time, we're not only growing closer together, being united under God's will, but we're growing closer to God. And John kind of alluded to that last week when he talked about persistence of prayer. Right? And so often, the Holy Spirit will use God's word to do just that. It says in John 14 that the Holy Spirit will remind us of God's words and teach us of God's words. So in that instant, without like wordless groanings, or with wordless groanings, sometimes the Holy Spirit, in order to convey God's will, bring us closer together and bring us closer together with God, will often use God's words to do that. And so often it's like an instant. I think that's what happened here. Because when we start to look at this, um, you're going to see some neat Neat reasons why that why that happens. So they start out. Let's break down like what they what they actually pray. They start out and they say, "Sovereign Lord," right? And this is like the nerd nerd part of me. Um, like, I looked up Lord that shows up there in my big concordance thing, and you can you can see every word of the Bible in there. And obviously, there's a lot of lords that show up in the Bible. And when you start looking through them, they're like the same word, Lord, 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 Lord. It's this word, Kyrios. I think it's called Kyrios. Well, you get down to Acts 4, and it's not that same word. Like, it's a different Lord word. It's this word, I don't even, I think it's called despotus. I don't know, it's Greek to me. Um, But... (laughs) But it doesn't just mean Lord the way that Lord was meant every other time it's used in the Bible. It's like, it's like sovereign Lord. It's like master. It's like you are the head and we're the body. You tell us what to do because you are God and we're your servants. It's like in this one word, they're saying to God, whatever you want, we're going to do it because we're your slaves and you are the master. You are the I am and we are your people. And they, in this one word, are just showing their obedience to the Lord. And so they start out and they say, Lord, master, right? That's what my version says, master. You made the heavens and the earth and everything that's in them. 
And like part of me like wonders like, like here they are. They're faced with all of these threats. Why, why are they talking about how God made the heavens and the earth and everything that's in them? Well, I believe that they are reminded of God's omnipotence. And that's, I know that's church language, and I, but I don't want to not use that word. I'd rather just teach you what it means. It means that God is all-powerful. There is nothing that he cannot do. Like, when you think about how he made the heavens and the earth, like, it was like an instant, like with a, with a breath, with a word. He made everything. You ever go up north and you go look at the stars where there's no light pollution? And there's just so many of them. And it makes you feel so small. And you realize how big his creation is. And in an instant, it was there. Like, like yeah, they got some big problems like with the, with the people giving them threats, but they've got somebody bigger on their side. Like, what comfort that is. But remember how, remember how I said sometimes the Holy Spirit remind you of God's word, right? To help bring you closer to God and closer with each other. I think that's what happened here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read for you from Psalm 121. I think this, this is a well-known, well-known um, psalm to them, to those early believers. It goes like this. I raise my eyes towards the mountains. Where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. Your protector will not slumber. Indeed, the protector of Israel does not slumber or sleep. The Lord protects you. The Lord is a shelter right by your side. The sun will not strike you by day or the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all harm. He will protect your life. The Lord will protect your coming and going both now and forever. Like that, the God who made the heavens and the earth and everything that's in them is on their side and he'll protect them. Like, they don't have to worry about those threats. They got somebody bigger on their side. There's not anything that is too big for a God who is omnipotent. I believe they were reminded of that. And then, then after that, their prayer goes like this. So they say, you made the heavens and the earth, see everything in them. And then they start talking about how God spoke through the Holy Spirit to their, their father, David. And then, and then this passage from, from Psalm 2. Here's another instant where the Holy Spirit reminded them of God's word. It goes like this. Why did the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and his anointed one. Like, like they just, that just happened. And they were, they were witnesses of that. They said that right there. They said, indeed, like Herod and Pontius Pilate, they did meet together in, with the Gentiles, the people of Israel. That all happened, just like you said it was going to happen, Lord. I believe in that instant, they were reminded of God's omniscience. And that's another big church word, but I don't want to not use it. I don't want to teach you what that means. Like, like that means that there's nothing that God doesn't see coming. He is all-knowing. Like, whatever his plans are, like, they're going to happen. You see, God, God had a plan for salvation through Jesus Christ, and he made that plan up before he even started the world. He knew what it was going to take. And that's just mind-blowing to me that he started the world. 
after he knew all of that. But he knew. He knew what, it, what was going to take, what it was going to happen, and then he foretold it to David. Like a thousand years before it actually happened. And it happened just how that happened. And what a great plan that that was for salvation, right? But he also had some plans for the church. Plans that he had since before he even started the world. And he foretold those plans too. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read from a little bit from John. Jesus, he's telling his disciples, he says, the Spirit's going to testify about me, but you will too. Because you've been with me from the beginning. He says, I told you these things to keep you from stumbling. They're going to ban you from the synagogues. In fact, a time is coming when anybody who kills you will think that he's offering a service to God. They will do these things because they haven't known the Father or me. But I have told you these things so that when their time comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I wonder if the early church remembered Christ saying, you're going to remember this, right? That there's this plan for the church. He calls that to memory. That there's big plans that God's got for the church. He's gonna, they're going to walk in Christ's footsteps and suffer as he suffered. But there's other big plans that he's told them. He said, you're he said that they're going to be resurrected later on. He said that they're going to spend eternity with the Lord. He said there's all these things, these promises from the Lord. Whatever he says is going to happen because he is omniscient. And I think they're reminded of that, and that's a big comfort for them because there is nothing outside of his sovereign plan. See, I think, I think as they started praying, the Holy Spirit brought them into alignment with God's will and brought them closer, not only together, but closer to God as, they, as the Holy Spirit reminded them of who God is, right? And so then they make their ask. They say, now, Lord, in verses 29 and 30, they say, now, Lord, please consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness while you stretch out your hand and, and heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. You see, they're not praying that their enemies would be silenced. They're not praying that they would be taken away from that situation. They're saying, now, Lord, now, now Master, like, you... You are who you are, and we are your servants. They said servants right in there. We want to align ourselves with what your will is and speak your word. Give us the courage. Give us the boldness to do what you've asked us to do while you do what you do. You do your signs and wonders, and you are God. You are who you are. And we just ask, that we can do, that we can have the courage to do what you ask us to do. What a prayer. I believe in that time, the Holy Spirit, who knew their hearts, brought them as one together 
under the head of Christ, align them with God's will, reminded them of who God was, and in that moment, they were not only one together, but they were one with God. Because because God answers prayers. And look at what happens next. It says, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Like They started speaking the word boldly, right? Like God totally answered that. And it wasn't this like false bravado that they had. Like they were reminded of who God is. And that gave them the courage to speak the word. They're reminded of how God is omnipotent and all-powerful. They're reminded of how God has his plans and they're going to happen no matter who is making threats about it. They're reminded of who he is and that's given them the courage to speak the message. I believe in that moment, they were also filled with the Spirit. It says they were filled with the Spirit, but I think that that started as soon as they started praying. Because you could totally see how the Spirit was showing them things and bringing them together. And then there's like the icing on the cake, right? The place shook. I can't even imagine what that would be like. But it's reminiscent of some other times when places shook. Like, think about this. Think about when the law was given to Moses. Like, the mountain shook, right? That's because God's presence was there. Or when the temple was built and they dedicated it, the place shook. It's because God's presence was there. Think about when Jesus was on the cross and there was this earthquake and Jesus was in submission to the will of the Father. He and and the Father are one. It shook because God's presence was there. And now, as they're praying as one together and together with the Father, the place shook because God's presence was there. There's a fella, his name was um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a pastor during Nazi Germany. And he knew a lot about, about the authorities telling him, you don't get to talk about that. And he still did, right? And he led a church in, in the midst of, uh, of that time. And this is what he said about the church. He says, the church is Christ's manifest presence. I don't know how many hours I sat and thought about that. The church is Christ's manifest presence. You know, Jesus, he says that when two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. Right? Well, I think that there's a lot that, that is applicable 
out of this passage. Like when we talk about corporate prayer, like it's not always like somebody's up here in the middle of church service and you guys are down there and somebody's praying and we're all listening. Like corporate prayer, like, like Jesus said, when two or three are gathered in my name, when we're gathered as one in his name, in his authority, in his, his will, he's there. Like, what about, what about at home between your wife or your kids and something comes up? Do we get together and do we pray? Do we know what the right thing to do at that critical moment is to pray? To align ourselves with God's will and have the boldness to carry that out? What about our small groups? When somebody says that they've got this going on, like is our first reaction to, to come together as one and pray? Or what about what about as church? A couple weeks ago, John, John had a sermon about love for humankind because there was just something really big that happened in the United States. Roe versus Wade is overturned, right? Like our country like, is on fire right now, right? With the abortion, with... with um, Gender. You can think of all the morality issues that we're, we're having right now as our country. As a church, is our first reaction to come together as one and pray? I don't know about you, but like, it's got me fired up to pray. I want to do that right now. Um, and I'm going to pray. You might think that I'm kind of searching for the words, but I want to pray with like a slower cadence so that maybe, maybe as I say something in your hearts, you can say amen, right? As one, we can... We can come together on God's word and align ourselves under him. Can we, can we pray together? All right. Let's do that. Heavenly Father, um, Master, there's a lot going on right now in in our nation, in our communities. It seems like, like there's a serious moral issue, a moral decline. And your word said that that's what happens when we reject you. And Lord, when I think about morality, I think, I think right away about the Ten Commandments. And I'm reminded of how you started the Ten Commandments by saying that you are the Lord God who brought us out of Egypt 
out of the land of slavery. I'm reminded that at that time, you, the God who was all-powerful, worked signs and wonders to bring people out of slavery. But I'm reminded, too, about how you brought me out of slavery and gave me freedom. How before, I was in slavery to sin. And with a miracle, with your power, you made us a new creation. And you gave us heart, flesh, to be able to follow your ways. And you did that through the gospel message of your son, Jesus Christ. That message has the power to set people free and give them a heart to follow your ways. So we ask, Lord, that you give us the courage to be able to go out into our community, into our jobs, into our families, and give the word, your word, that sets people free, that they may be able to join in in this union that you've given us. That they may be able to be set free from the being slaves to sin. That they may become part of your church. God, give us that boldness to do what you've asked us to do. And we pray this in the name of our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. Amen.